0: Let us pray. At the start of this new year, O God, open every possibility to us, including the possibility of hearing grace and truth as it comes to us in your word. Amen. The first scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5a and 7 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, magi from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star in the east and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen in the east, until it had stopped over the place where the child was. They left for their own country by another road. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Our second reading today continues in Matthew's Gospel, chapter three, verses one and two. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Having been warned in a dream, They left for their own country by another road. They returned home by another way. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It may be helpful today to remind you that repent at its root level is a very simple word. It means turn. Now, last Thursday, I was out at Sesquicentennial Park I was actually there on Wednesday too, meeting some friends at the playground and going on a short hike around the lake. It was a perfect winter day to be outside and I was so emboldened by this that I returned the next day with my dog, Annie. I figured we would go on a slightly longer hike, but one short enough that I'd still be able to get home well before lunch. With time to take care of everything else I plan to take care of everything else I plan to do that day. This will fall under the category of best-laid plans. You see, I'd looked at the trail map, and I intended to follow a loop of about three and a half miles. That is not what happened. And it is entirely my fault. I was daydreaming. I was lost in my thoughts and I was trotting along behind my dog without a care in the world, which is how three and a half miles became eight. All because I missed a turn. The sign was literally marked with an arrow pointing me in the right direction. I just neglected to follow it. Now, obviously I am fine. I have maybe a blister or two, but otherwise I am no worse for the wear. When I sat down to write this sermon, though, I couldn't help but laugh because really, where is John the Baptist when you need him? There are moments in life when having a boisterous guy in your face proclaiming, turn, you, turn here, could really help a person out. But the truth is, I tend to see John the Baptist as a guy who is somewhat difficult to love. He has become this radical figure, and radical figures can be hard to embrace. But if I give it a lot of thought, I can't help but wonder if that's more because people today have taken his message of repentance and turned it into something maybe even more radical than he himself intended. The late David Bartlett, who taught preaching at Columbia Seminary, he opened my eyes to a new way of understanding John. David said that early in his life as a preacher, he would get himself in trouble with his congregation because he would reference Albert Schweitzer and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Mother Teresa and others just like them on a regular basis. His congregants grew weary. Surely there are faithful Christians who aren't saints and heroes, they said. Couldn't we hear about people who are a little bit more like us? Surely it's possible to be faithful and obedient and mostly ordinary. Those honest questions from his congregation helped expand the way David thought about John. Because yes, John the Baptist's hair might be wild and his eyes might be wilder still and he does ask us to repent and change our ways or else. But also notice this. Later in the Gospels, when the fairly affluent ask him what they should do to serve God, he doesn't say, give up everything you have. He says, share. If you have two coats, share with someone who has none. And if you have a lot of food, do the same. When tax collectors ask him what they should do, he doesn't say, quit your job because you work for a system that exploits people. He says, do your job in a way that protects people, and do not allow yourselves to profit at someone else's expense. When soldiers ask John what they should do to be faithful, he doesn't say, lay down your weapons and become complete and total pacifists. He says, do not use your power in inappropriately threatening ways and do not use your authority to cause trouble for anyone else. None of what he says is easy, but none of it's impossible either. Because the point of the gospel isn't actually to make us throw up our arms in frustration and concede that we'll never measure up so we have to give up. That has never been the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel has always been to point us in the right direction, to point us toward God, to help us see God and hear God and trust God. And God does not set us up to fail. God asks a lot of us, but never more than we are actually able of achieving, And God doesn't give up when it takes us a little while to get it right. God does not give up on us. And at the very same time, God hopes and prays and maybe even expects that we won't give up either. It is very easy to fall into an all or nothing way of thinking. But that is actually what John the Baptist preaches against. And on this New Year's Day, I believe that is worth paying attention to. Because we are probably not going to bring an end to all war everywhere this year. But maybe we can find peaceful solutions some of the time. And we are probably not going to institute universal health care this year but maybe we can limit policies that prey upon the most vulnerable. We are probably not going to pass legislation that protects every child all of the time, but maybe we can take incremental steps in that direction. We are probably not going to eradicate racism, but maybe we can keep examining our own behaviors and tendencies. We are probably not going to come to complete agreement across the political aisle, but maybe we can remember to seek out the humanity in one another. John the Baptist is very clear about this. We are called to work on interim solutions even when a complete solution seems very far away. i mentioned to you once or twice before that prior to seminary, I taught outdoor education in the mountains of California. One of the classes we taught ironically was orienteering, a way of finding your way with a map and a compass. Given the story with which I began this sermon, it may relieve you to know that when that class appeared on my teaching schedule, I made sure I was team teaching with another instructor. They would take the lead on orienteering. I would take the lead on something I actually understood. But I do remember a few things about that class. And one is this. If I'm meant to walk in exactly this direction, but I'm off by even just a few degrees on my compass, and I head off in this direction, initially, It's not that far off the mark. So initially, it doesn't make much of a difference at all. But if I continue in that direction for five hours or five days or five months, over time, that almost imperceptible change in direction means I will end up in a dramatically different place. Now, when it comes to orienteering, that's really bad news. But when it comes to John the Baptist and his message of repentance, it's really good news. Because it means that serving God imperfectly is still serving God. It means that working towards God's promised day and stages is still working toward God's promised day. It means there is always something we can do, no matter how small, and doing that something is faithful. Now, the thing about the gospel is that what's true for our shared life together is true for our individual lives, too. And it is New Year's Day, which means if you live in the world at all, you have already heard in surround sound that this is the moment to change your life, to set resolutions, to shift who you are toward who you want to be, to leave the old behind and embrace the new. And I would like us to give that idea a giant gospel asterisk. Because yes, this is as good a time as any to examine our lives and our living. And John the Baptist says repent because there are places we need to change. But if you're going to repent, please repent the way John intended, not the way we have managed to rebrand his message. Who you are, is a child of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Nothing can change that, and I hope and I pray that you will never try to change that. Because God actually knew what God was doing when God made you. And don't ever disrespect God by disrespecting the person God made you to be. Because there's a difference, there is a big difference between who we are and how we live. John's message is about changing the way we live, not about changing who we are. Changing the way we live can be holy and good. Believing we need to change who we are at the core of our being is not So if there is something about the way that you are living that you want to change, if it is a change that will draw you closer to God's own heart, then by all means pursue it in the spirit of John the Baptist and avoid that all or nothing way of thinking and honor the significant difference that can come from even the smallest shift. That is not the only way to approach a new year, but it is one worth hearing this morning. And that idea is part of why we've started handing out star words each year on Epiphany. It's a modern day tradition for an ancient story, the story of the Magi who follow a star to the Christ child and who then go home by another way, who then change course, and alter the way they move throughout the world. The story is dependent upon that change. So you will receive a star word during communion, a gift given to you as freely as the bread and the cup that we share at this table. Our magi will give it to you because a star word is not one you choose for yourself. It is something bestowed upon you, a word that, Might be something you couldn't have even imagined for yourself. Every word is positive, and every word has the capacity to expand the way you see and understand God at work in the world. Now, I can't tell you exactly how you might see this word come to bear throughout the year, but I can remind you that when we are careful enough to look for something, we become much more likely to find it. Now I am asked every year by at least a few of you, can I trade my word? You cannot. (laughs) You cannot give your word back. You can have a second word or even a third if you wish. I'll have extras outside after worship. We are not without grace here. We will give you another but we will ask that you keep the original because none of us ought to be in the business of saying how or when God might choose to be known and seen in the world and in your life. It is the start of a new year, but the God we serve is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The star we follow was cast into the universe when creation began. it has been lighting our way ever since so follow it follow it and repent with gentleness and compassion and trust in the future repent because the kingdom of heaven has drawn near to you pray with me gracious God we believe help our unbelief